I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we start off with the Week in Review, what movies and TV shows we've been seeing since the last episode, move on to the main event, which is either a main topic of discussion or a main review, and then finish up with film faves, our respective list of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. This episode, we're going to forego a Week in Review and just talk about our experience going back to the movies for the first time in months and in a covid era and then we'll have our main event which is our main review of the new mutants the long awaited new mutants and then we will have our favorite teen movies in film faves so Let's get right to it. But first, before we start, we have some news that came down yesterday at the time of recording. This is Saturday, and this news hit uh, Friday evening, I think around... Friday the 28th of August. Yes, I think around 7 or 8 o'clock uh, this news hit. And that is the sudden passing of Chadwick Boseman. Sudden to us because nobody really knew, including people who worked with him, apparently according to James Gunn's Instagram, that he actually was diagnosed with and had been uh, suffering from colon cancer since 2016. Now, 2016, that's around the time, roughly, that he was cast as Black Panther. This is definitely before Black Panther came out. Uh, he was probably most notable at this point for his film role of Jackie Robinson in the film 42, which I don't remember the exact year that came out. I think that might have been 14 or 15. I'm a little unsure about that. And then he also starred as Thurgood Marshall in Marshall. Uh, and I think actually maybe he starred as James Brown at one point as well, but I've never seen that movie. At any rate, uh, this was very surprising sudden news. Uh, I get different reports of whether or not he was 42 or 43, but clearly fairly young. He was 43. He was 43, okay. Very young and uh, very surprising. I've, I, I thought he was one of the most um, promising talents to come from the 2010s. And I was really looking forward to see what else he would do uh, outside of the MCU. Shannon, do you have any thoughts on Chadwick Boseman and his passing? Well, you know, I was on my way back home. and the From girl, work? Yeah, and the girlfriend's phoned, and I was like, oh, this will be fun. And, you know, we got to chat for a little bit, and my friend said, oh, did you know Chadwick Boseman died? And I was like, no, you must be mistaken must be someone else so it was pretty shocking and really like hard to believe mm. because rightly so the public didn't know he was fighting something that he probably wanted to keep private and i'm just assuming you know mm. you know i think i'm very worried about south africa in particular with this news because Black Panther was this final visualization and beautiful execution of 
what the African continent and the countries within it could have been without colonization. It could have been this beautiful thing. And everybody has different opinions about this. But I feel like it, untouched, it would have been this amazing, amazing continent. It is amazing. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, I mean, he's a, he's a hero there. You know, mm. he's a hero to a lot of people around the world, but I think in particular the African continent, South Africa, I can speak for, uh, you know, he's this wonderful being. So to find out that he's left us when there's, you know, there was supposed to be a Black Panther too. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, it's very shocking. It's very hard to imagine and that he died of colon cancer. It's just during COVID time, I guess it's a reminder that, there are other things that can take people away from us. You know, another thing that I thought about, you know, my brother and I spoke and I said, hey, I don't know if you know, but like eventually in comic law, like he's supposed to end up with Storm, you know, and that's just what the fans of X-Men and the fans of Black Panther know. Mm. You know, with Disney finally having the rights to the X-Men, I was like, oh, well, maybe this will be a possibility. And everyone knows that Storm is my favorite, my mm. absolute favorite heroine. So it's just a really shocking thing. It's very sad. I am heartbroken for anyone that knew him and was close to him. Uh, Wakanda forever. Yeah, and I think lastly, this is probably a good, I don't know, wake-up call or a reminder or what have you that with colon cancer, you, you don't it don't have to be in your 60s or 70s or anything to, to have these kinds of things and it could strike as early as in your early 40s or late 30s so i guess definitely a, a thing um, that hopefully brings more awareness to that uh illness as well um, but as far as chadwick boseman is concerned we are surprised and this year just can't get any worse can it well i won't say that actually because every time someone says that why don't you just calm down here? It, it gets worse doesn't it betty white is not leaving us this year we still have four <laughs> more months anyway uh so we mourn along with you listeners with the loss of chadwick boseman okay so today the time of recording we went back to the movie theater for the first time maybe you got to see all the Instagram story video I posted of us being at the theater, promising that we would report in this episode what that experience was like. What is it like going back to the movies in this COVID era, right? It's not even post-COVID yet, right? And uh, so we wanted to kind of describe and explain what that experience was. Was it good or bad in general for us? Uh, you know, and mostly, mostly... It wasn't too dissimilar to the ideal movie-going experience that we often are lucky enough to have. So basically... (laughs) The experience we strive for. Yeah, so basically, if you take away the crowds of people, uh, the talking, all the negative experiences that you typically have in a movie theater, or uh, some, some people typically have in a movie theater... It's a lot like what our experience was, right? It was not crowded. There were... How many people did you count in our screening? So I believe there were three or four couples behind us in the back half of the theater. Okay, so no more than a dozen people in the screening in total. The map of the seating chart had actual seats uh, that were blocked off 
not you know you couldn't you wouldn't know that being there necessarily it wasn't like they had them taped off or anything like that but no one could buy certain seats and they blocked off two seats um next to well I don't know how to describe it, but it was it was like you'd have a couple seats and then you'd have a couple seats blocked off on either side, you know, mm. that sort of thing kind of spread throughout, except for the first two rows. Those were not did not have any social distancing blackouts, essentially, because I guess they figure most people don't buy those rows. Mm-hmm. So they're socially distanced anyway, mm-hmm. but we didn't have anybody sitting in front of us at all. Yeah, it was really quite lovely in that sense we bought the tickets online through our app because the movie theater hasn't restarted the monthly subscription fees so uh, if you go see a movie right now you you're paying for the tickets right and there is an option to buy concessions through the app but we chose not to do that i'm not the most technologically keen person so I don't want every to do everything. I don't know how to do everything online. I don't necessarily want to do everything online. So we went up to the concession. They had a plastic wall, so to speak, uh, kind of a see-through plastic wall. Yeah, uh, like at you see at a lot of grocery stores. Yes, yeah. only there really wasn't much. Like you couldn't go under it. You You could only go over it or to one side of it. It was fairly, fairly, um, what's the word? well-made i should say or well-planted so there's there's very (laughs) yes very little opportunity for contact between the employee and the person Mm -hmm. you of course i should say required to wear masks everybody was wearing masks employees were all wearing masks they have sanitation stations around in case you unlike us uh did not have sanitizer in the car we applied sanitizer in the car on our hands before we went in um, and put on our masks and we've got our popcorn we got our soda and this is probably the one big issue we had was our theater changed from <laughs> being a coke vendor to being a pepsi vendor what the fuck and that that just is not acceptable and their ads aren't even that good i mean like they're trying but it's no like you don't even have your highlights right what the fuck your highlights so, okay tonally <laughs> speaking here i mean like the regal roller coaster ad i think they cut oh, away the coke but right. they still had soda looking stream i didn't even right yeah 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 but then oh wow i didn't even think about that it was kind of odd i'm shifting real quick here but look when i go to the movies that's when i get to drink my coke and apparently now i don't get to do that so i'm kind of pissed um (laughs) like i don't drink coke except when i go to the movies and you bring home a mcdonald's coke and i take a sip or two sure or a quarter cup right i'm the coke fan in the family let's be clear yeah well like i like coke but i know that i don't need to drink a lot I gotcha. so what was interesting about the regal roller coaster ad is at the end it had birds of prey as their promotional yeah. movie yeah. and i just thought that that was really funny because it's this pause in time and those colors are very specific that are in that poster there aren't a lot of other posters right now that have those colors okay so your mind doesn't even get confused for a second what you're looking at. Yeah. And then instead what you're thinking is like, oh, we have a pause in time, which is kind of interesting. I think that's a funny point. I didn't even think about that. Uh, it did strike me as a little, like just like a, a twinge of oddness of, oh, they're, they're still running a Birds of Prey app game. That's a weird thing. That was 
earlier this year. Yeah, I don't but, know. I mean, for all we know, those employees that, that are in charge of that, either higher up or locally, I don't know. Like, they might not be back to work or at all. You well, know? there's probably not any promotions like that for any movies right well, now because they've all so been delayed. Uncertain. Right? Like mm-hmm. you said, I made a note. I was like, you know, we watched a bunch of trailers, which I'd like to mention in a minute. But, you know, I said, oh, do you think these dates that they're listing, yeah. do you think they're accurate? And what was funny is you're like so adult about it. You're like... For now, yes. And it's like this reminder of, <laughs> oh, yeah, this nothing's permanent. Nothing is set in stone. Nothing, nothing is really scheduled, really. For now, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for now, it's scheduled for that. Yeah. So, yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. You know, and I was really excited to see the big screen. We walked in and it was the, the silly promotional newbie thing. And like, I was like, oh, yay, big screen. And I was curious because I was like, oh, well, I wonder what our first ad is going to be. Our first trailer is going to (laughs) be. And it was some crap called Infidel. And it was the loudest, most obnoxious, most fear mongering shit I've ever witnessed. And it was just a trailer. And it just made me so mad. And then, you know, after that, we it got a little better. We had Morbius, which makes no sense to me. Why didn't you put Morbius first? Because we're going to watch a Marvel movie, you know. Okay. And then we saw a trailer to Greenland, and that was all about the world falling apart with asteroids. Asteroids? Meteors. Meteors, I'm Meteors, sorry. yeah. And I was like, why is there more fear-based crap happening here i think we've had enough fear for one year the world is coming to an apart. end Jesus. 2020 oh is the God. end times shanna <laughs> you may not even see these movies <laughs> Well, thank God for that. <laughs> oh, my God. That was like... The Be lucky you saw the trailers. That was the second, the second fear-mongering, like, somewhat, you know, it's possible. And uh, apparently Infidel's based on something true, uh, a true story. Yeah. But I was like, why are you giving me all this fear? I've just... I'm trying to come out of fear. Mm. And you're throwing that into me and i was happy to recognize it and say fuck you fuck off then we had (laughs) tenant and that was a lovely experience however it was the latest trailer and i think you and i both feel the same i think too much was revealed like we were satisfied with the previous trailer yeah i like the sense of mystery and not knowing too much about the story Mm -hmm. even before i go in so i could have done without it yeah so i was you know i was happy to see tenant um and then we had perot's new movie death uh death on the nile Mm -hmm. which takes place like essentially right after murder on the orient express because someone comes up to him and says we have to go to cairo or something like that. In the remake, you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, in the, the remake. Other. And so now he's there, and there's some beautiful dramatic shots, and it looks like Gal Gadot is in it. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy to go see that. And then our final trailer was Black Widow, which is going to apparently release on the 6th of November uh, for now. And we got more information from that trailer. It was like a new trailer. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I, again, I probably got more than I needed. So I wonder if marketing of you know the different movies felt like, oh, well, we better make something new to re-engage people. Yeah, I would say that's a fair assessment. Yeah, yeah. But I hope they haven't revealed everything. 
Was there anything you wanted to say about the experience of going to the theater yeah. and this time? Um, it was really nice. Look, I've been to the aquarium twice this week. In Seattle. In Seattle. And I freaking love timed attendance. Okay. <laughs> like I have space. Uh, it is usually a nut house in the summer. It's difficult to see things. It's difficult to get a chance to ask the aquarium staff questions. Uh-huh. And I'm totally cool with this, you know? So the same thing for this. Like, okay. I loved going on... We went on a Saturday mm-hmm. and uh, near payday, you know? So on a it Saturday was, afternoon, too. Yeah, it was really great. Uh, I loved it. Uh, we were sitting there eating our popcorn and, and drinking our Pepsi. <laughs> and I thought to myself... We don't have to wear masks while we eat. We could sit here eating popcorn the whole movie and we probably wouldn't have to put our masks on. But I felt full and I was like, okay, I'm going to put my mask on. But, you know, with soda and salty buttered popcorn, there's that combo of burpy breath. And so I did feel the need to like, I'm just going to open the mask just for a second because I don't want that trapped in here with me. (laughs) So it was a little awkward at first, but then I I pretty much got used to it. There were Mm. times where I jumped and touched my face like to cover my mouth from like screaming too like much in reaction to the yeah movie. in reaction to the movie and i was like what the fuck am i touching and it was just my mask <laughs> you know because we don't watch movies at home with our masks on so right uh, just a bunch of new sensory things to get used to but otherwise it's fine yeah i didn't have really m- most of those things in my experience it, like i i was actually eating most of the time and the, the rule is you have to keep your masks on Unless you're eating or drinking, which makes sense. That's the case in restaurants. That should be the case in social situations right now. And, uh, you know, just keep your distance from people. Mm -hmm. And so I was doing that during most of the movie. And when I was done, when I did stop, like it did take me a second to remember, oh, I got to put my mask back on. Yeah. You know, which was hanging off my ear anyway. Yeah. But that was the extent of like a quote unquote big deal at all that there was for me. It felt like I was just back at the theater again. I guess like because our theater also has said that they increased the um, HVAC levels to by 50 to 100 percent to help circulate the air uh, better. And the fact that there's less people. I was I, I felt like I was in more danger going to the grocery store, if that makes any sense. Yeah, you're around more people. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm you're touching more, more things. Right, exactly. So uh, I would say a positive experience. I'm a little worried about what our tenant screening will look like. We'll see what that's like comparatively. That'll, we'll have to talk about that experience too because I think it's going to be completely different. Um, it may be it may be so we'll see what that's like and we'll report to you on when we talk about that movie but uh yeah that's pretty much the experience of going to the movies right now and what what our experience was anyway and i think generally it was a positive one for us so with that let's get into the movie itself in our review of the new mutants I'm going to ask you a series of questions. I want you to respond truthfully. Have you ever hurt someone? Yes.
Have you ever experienced anything you'd consider abnormal? Yes. Last question. Do you know what mutants are? Did you know baby rattlesnakes are more dangerous than adult ones? They haven't learned how to control how much venom they secrete. All of you are dangerous. That's why you're here. some rest. And that is from the trailer to the New Mutants, which I would have at one time said Fox's New Mutants, but now it's 20th Century Studios. The fuckers didn't even have the da na na na. No. Because that is a Fox thing from Fox's, what do you call, X-Men series, which they are trying to leave behind. Because they should have at least given us one more. That was a Fox thing. I'm so mad. You may have gotten it from Dark Phoenix, and yeah. but that was it. Yeah. That was it. I was so no mad more. about that. So when we review a movie... First, what we typically like to do is talk about the good, what we liked about a movie, before moving on to the bad, what sucked about a movie, what didn't work for us, what were its flaws. Then we weigh whether or not the good outweighed the bad and get into spoilers and final thoughts. With this movie, first, what I thought would be a good idea to do is get into context uh, before we move into that stuff. Let's talk about this because, Shanna, we have been anticipating this movie for officially two years maybe even two and a half years let me double check that i have an article here from cinema blend that details the original release date for this movie that fox gave the film and that was april 13th 2018 so it has been two years and four months. I think it was when we were looking at our most anticipated movies of 2018. I think it was on our list of our most anticipated movies. And when we did our list of our most anticipated movies in 2019, when it got bumped to 2019, <laughs> yeah, it was on our list for most anticipated movies. And then it got bumped to uh, April, I think, of 2020, if I'm not mistaken. It wasn't far away from Birds of Prey. Right, know, okay, it was like yeah. a month apart, maybe. Yeah. Now, so why did it keep getting bumped? What, what happened and such? Well, uh, I have an article here from Collider from March of this year. That was 
published shortly before its supposed release date. And the director, Josh Boone, who did the film The Fault in Our Stars and actually Mm -hmm. jumped on this project shortly after directing the film The Fault in Our Stars, uh, he said that there was a lot of rumors that they were going to do reshoots and that these reshoots never... They never materialized, uh, was the rumor, and things just got delayed. Well, he says, everybody said that we did reshoots, but we never did reshoots. Oh, what? And he says, I'll tell you this. If there hadn't been a merger between Fox and Disney, Uh. I'm sure we would have done reshoots the same way every movie does pickups. In case you're not familiar, most movies do reshoots. Most movies come back and do additional shots of some kind pickup shots or reshoots it's not abnormal and it used to be Mm -hmm. considered a thing oh the production's in trouble they have to redo the story that's not typically what is the case but most movies do need to do these things and he's arguing that if it weren't for the fox and disney merger they probably would have done those things he said we didn't even do that because by the time the merger was done and everything was settled everybody is older Oh, uh, so you can't really do that, can you? Right. Mm. Uh, and I actually speculated, I wonder if that was part of the issue. So, yeah, the merger with uh, Fox and Disney definitely delayed this film and caused some problems. Uh, sometimes it was officially stated that the uh, owning studio wanted to create some distance from another movie, be it... Logan, or be it, let's see, no, that was 2017. What was the 2018 Dark movie? Dark Phoenix last year. There was a movie before that they wanted to create some distance from. And Maisie Williams apparently has even gone on record saying, yeah, it was a good idea that they created some breathing room mm. the first time that they delayed because it also allowed for some things to be kind of fine-tuned in the post-production process as well. He, she's seen the movie in the end product and said, the movie that you see is the movie that, that they set out to make. So that's the case with this movie. So just to give some context and understanding, hopefully all that makes sense. It's really mostly the Fox and D, not DC, Fox and Disney merger that really created this prolonged and protracted release thing. Uh, Disney, of course, wanted to be done with the Fox X-Men movies. So there was some question of how and when they were going to uh, put this thing out. I will say I have seen a lot of marketing for this movie this year from uh, Disney. So I don't think they it's necessarily fair to characterize that they're just dumping this movie, that they don't necessarily care because there's definitely marketing money that has been put into it. I've seen a lot of ads online for this film. Is there anything I'm missing, anything I'm forgetting to mention uh, to provide context for this film? No, I think you did pretty well. Okay. Yeah. All right. So with that, in case you're not familiar, The New Mutants is based on a Chris Claremont, uh, Bill Size. Seisgowitz, I have a hard time saying his name, a story called The Demon Bear in a series called The New Mutants from the 80s. The IMDb description is five young mutants just discovering their abilities while while held in a secret facility against their will fight to escape their past sins 
and save themselves. The stars Maisie Williams, Anya Taylor-Joy, Charlie Heaton from Stranger Things. Well, let's, let's you know, give context. Yeah, Maisie Williams, you know, from Game of Thrones. Yes. Anya Taylor-Joy is from Glass and Split. Yes. Uh, Charlie Heaton is Stranger Things. Alice Braga is the Doctor. And she's from a, a number of TV shows I'm unfamiliar with, unfortunately. I know her best from movies like Predators from 10 years ago. Oh, okay. And then Blue Hunt, she is from... The Originals? The Originals, which is some sort of Vampire Diaries spinoff that's better. <sighs> and then she's also in something called Another Life. And then Henry Zaga... I don't know if that's how you said. My Afrikaans is trying to come in here. <laughs> uh, and he is from a couple episodes of 13 Reasons Why and apparently The New Stand. The Right, the which stand. is also directed by Josh Boone, who oh, did this film. But yeah, he I, he's the one I really didn't know. He, apparently he oh, was in the Teen, Teen Wolf. Wolf series. Yeah. So with all that said, Shanna, yes. this being one of the most anticipated movies... Of the past few years for us. Good God, yes. Because I'm more an X-Men person movie-wise than a Star Wars person. I love that Star Wars is there, but I love X-Men and Ghostbusters more, quite frankly. Okay. Did this movie live up to all the anticipation? And whether or not that was the case, what was good about the New Mutants? So how I view the X-Men movies is, how do I view the comic books? Which stories are my favorite? Mm. So my favorite is Days of Future Past, and that movie lived up to expectations given how I feel about the the story, how I feel about the comic book. And then Age of Apocalypse is like my second favorite, Mm. and that did not hold up movie-wise. That was a huge disappointment 2016's uh, X-Men Apocalypse. And then Dark Phoenix... I mean, doesn't even it's not even on the map, you know. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to love it. I think everybody knows that I wanted to love it. And mm. so, when thinking about the New Mutants, we just started reading the book, The Demon Bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't finish it in time. It's a very you know take a piece from here, take a piece from there kind of compilation. That's true. However, we are on the last chapter of the original story. Ah, okay. So having that little bit of introduction for us was really nice, actually. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yes. And then movie-wise, I I really liked it. I thought there was a lot of really nice... I, I felt like a lot of teenage issues were being dealt with really nicely here. I loved how little things were dealt with, like being trapped within your own emotions, being trapped in past experiences it doesn't matter if it was traumatic or not it doesn't matter it doesn't matter they even addressed suicidal thoughts in the first 15 minutes of the movie yeah yeah and i just felt like that was all responsible and it was also touching all the things that teenagers go through the movie went ahead and dealt with a whole bunch of things in the first 15 minutes never mind the rest of the film so I really liked it. Obviously, with X-Men being teenagers, everything's amplified because they're like, well, we got to give you a trauma. So you killed this person and you killed those people, you know? <laughs> right. As a result it's of so their different. powers. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. But it, it is kind of, in real life, it's a result of the hormones, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. You don't always kill someone, but you do slice their heart with your tongue. So I'm not, <laughs> I like not how talking, you put that. I'm not talking about anyone specific at all. 
and then you know we get to see you've got five characters here they're new characters we know nothing about them unless you've been exposed to the comic books yeah. you know like these are all new characters really Correct. yeah I, we don't see sunspot in days of future past do we do we see Actually, him at the he end is. he's one of the survivors he, well no he's with us he's, he's one of the characters in the future yeah. With, that's fighting with Storm and Iceman and Bishop. What I mean by survivors, like in the beginning, he's with us. Like gotcha. in the beginning of the movie. Yes, that's that's him. Okay. Now, I don't think it's the same actor. No, no, it wouldn't be. Which I guess makes sense if this is supposed to be a quote-unquote teen. Although this, is a, this guy is the most mid-20s looking teen I have ever seen. <laughs> this guy is like clearly older than the rest and he is freaking like jacked. He's got huge fucking biceps, or not biceps, but pecs and biceps, you know? But whatever. Honey, when you're a teenager, the muscle stays where it's supposed to stay, okay? Yeah. So, any, you know, I just, I loved having new characters. I'm a huge Colossus fan, and anyone who's related to Colossus, I'm like, yes, I want to see you. And there were little things that were happening in the film you know, I pointed something out to you and I was like, hey, that's Lockheed, you know, and uh, that was in the first 15 minutes. Yes, Lockheed is in this movie. It's and very exciting. It, it's, and it's very unique and interesting way they figured out how to introduce Lockheed. It's very cool. They did a lot of new things in this film. It helps that they were in a hospital they didn't want to be in. You know, because these kids were being monitored the whole time. And not only did they have a camera on them, but when you look on the monitor, you could see their biometrics. You could even see like data on uh, psychic power, psychic energy levels. And I thought that was really interesting that you're giving that a visual meter. So that was pretty cool. Uh, I liked the format with how they were introducing new characters and their history to us. I didn't know that about uh, Sam. Is it Sam Guthrie? Sam Guthrie, yeah, yeah. who's Cannonball in the comics. Yeah. I don't know that that is. Oh, that's what he was doing. I don't think that. Okay. I don't know that that's canon accurate. I don't know either because it didn't seem familiar to me at all. Yeah, I mean, in in the comics. Uh, I don't know his childhood that well because I didn't read The New Mutants too much or even X-Force, but he has a sister named Paige Guthrie. She eventually becomes part of the next class of X-Men called what Generation X. Her name is Husk. She's able to peel her skin off into different abilities and stuff, oh, gotcha. which would be horrific and awesome to see on screen someday. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. Uh, anyway, so I, I like how they were introducing the characters to us. Obviously, not everyone gets a lot of screen time. I would have liked it if uh, Sunspot got a little more. I felt like he was just cut short just a wee bit. And then with Ileana, I really liked how, you know, she's a bitch. She's an intolerant, pretty much she's doing racist things, bitch. That's true. And lashing out at everybody. and And then... We're with Danny. So it's it's kind of this nice v- variety. And, and of course, with um, Macy Williams' character. I always forget her name. Rain Sinclair. Rain. Rain. So with Rain, you know, it's it's revealed uh, through her repenting, really. You know, it's it's nice that 
these teens are different teens they have different personalities and we get to see that and you know when you when you have teenagehood you're either your faith is either gonna be stronger or you're not going to touch faith for a few years or decades oh yeah so i i they really touched a lot of stuff and Mm -hmm. i really like that they did that i also really appreciated the doctor saying repenting teens are good teens (laughs) it's like i didn't hear that uh, to like some extent sure but you know sam and rain are i think overly repenting you know Mm. they're not yeah like guilt you're saying yeah they're Uh overcome with guilt Mm -hmm. yeah i I love this movie i really okay i would love to see more you know so this film has right now a 29 percent on rotten tomatoes and i haven't uh I, i have purposely stayed away from rotten tomatoes and reading the what the critics say right now not because i have anything against critics but just because i didn't want to go in with a certain um, expectation or have my perspective tainted before i saw it so i'll read what they have to say about and what their criticisms are later but i will say that this movie is not the worst x-men movie ever made unlike its um critics consensus would lead you to believe it is better than Dark Phoenix, certainly more memorable. I often forget Dark Phoenix even existed or what happened in it. Mm-hmm. And Shannon, you were a bigger fan of X-Men Apocalypse than I was. I thought it was okay. I thought it had some good stuff, but well, it well, had a lot of issues has, with time it. Time has gone by now, and I kind of feel the same way as you. Okay. I, I have the kind of relationship I have with that movie is I want to love it because gotcha. I love the story so much. So, and and by the way, that movie is nothing like Age of Apocalypse, nor does it even try to be. But, uh, you know, I'm very mixed on Apocalypse. I think this movie's better than Apocalypse, and it's better than uh, X-Men The Last Stand. All of these are proper X-Men. Oh, yeah. um, I agree with you in your placement. All of these are proper X-Men stories. As a spinoff, it's better than X-Men Origins Wolverine. So, but it's also not like the best or the greatest right like i might be able to put it into my top 10 overall x-men related movies but it's not top five material and and in terms of it's being worthy of the anticipation i don't think it necessarily knocked my socks off whereas i felt like overly thrilled and completely satisfied like say Oh, eh, Days of Future Past really blew me away. X-Men 2 back in 2002, 2003, whenever that came out. did it's, But it does have a lot of things in it that I do like. A lot of things in it that I do appreciate. First of all, seeing these characters uh, brought to life on the screen in mostly faithful ways was a delight and really wonderful to see. Now, there's some deviations I gather that they made. First of all, Ileana Rasputin is, in my understanding, in no way the hardened bitch that she is in this film. I mean, she is antagonistic as all hell in this movie. You know, And I don't know that Sam Guthrie's origin story is the same uh, in the comic book canon as it is Mm. in this but 
you know, they went so far as to be faithful enough to have Ilyana be in a Russian accent, speak in a Russian accent, to have Rain Sinclair speak in an, uh, a, a Scottish accent. So Maisie Williams yeah. practiced a Scottish accent, and and Anya Taylor-Joy sp- uh, speaks in a Russian accent. And I don't think any of those are comical. I think those all seem very authentic and believable. Uh, and I don't think any of them falter or are inconsistent. So... I like that, and I was kind of surprised and, and thrilled to see that. I like that this movie really hits on these, as you said, teen issues, these awakenings, the, you know, be coming of age. Uh, mm-hmm. It hits on this metaphor of you know, you hit a certain age, and these things comes to light, and it does attack that from different angles. You even have the rich, attractive. Uh, male who gets too worked up let's say um when he's <laughs> turned on right yeah and it le- led to devastating effects right devastating consequences Even the well-off say. guy right? has is- you know yes but it's speaking too. to those hormones yeah. also right so I like that, and I also like how this X-Men film actually has a lesbian relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, two characters in the film actually, like, kiss and have a very genuinely sweet relationship. And yeah. I thought that was, um, uh, two female characters, I should say, and I thought that that was really great to see, and it was handled very well. Uh, it is not too dissimilar from the comics either because no one of those characters i can't remember if it's both the same characters or if it's another character that's in the comics that's not in the films i cannot remember i'd have to re-research it but that this is very true uh in in some ways so I liked that. I I liked the visual effects, the the realization of these characters, the whole demon bear story uh, is not perfect, but it works. I think it, it works. ends perfectly. I think it has a great conclusion. At the, yes, yes. As it's unfolding, it's a little, huh? you know, yeah. but it, it's a tricky concept, and I think they it did is. pretty well with it. In the end, yes, and and the fact that you have a Native American character played, I I played do, by a Native American. I was going to say, I do I believe checked, she's yeah. actually Native American. I can't remember yeah. what tribe she's from. The character's from is Cheyenne, but yeah. at any rate, um, I, and and the way that that character is handled, I, I think there. The, the movie definitely avoids so many traps, so many stumbles, so many issues that it could have stepped into. So I like all of that. I think overall, like, there's, it's not perfect. There's issues I have with it, but I think a lot of it uh, works and is actually pretty good. There's imagery that's in the poster and in the trailers that I did not see in this movie which is uh, interesting. But um, in introducing this horror element, which I predicted correctly, I'll talk about it in spoilers maybe, but I predicted correctly how they were going to do that when <laughs> yes, we were reading were very, the demo book. You were very pleased. Those horror elements is a, a really interesting and new angle too for the X-Men. 
And I really think that this movie got just got the wind taken out of its sails in terms of a release, in terms of its momentum, of mm-hmm. what it could have done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know that it has been said by the powers that be at Disney and Marvel that if the film does well enough, it could f- be folded into the MCU. I do hope that's the case because I would like to see these characters and this yeah. portrayal of these uh, th- this portrayal of these characters again. So she is a descendant of the Lakota tribe. Lakota, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. the Go cast ahead. is really varied. It's great. You yes, know? we're we're only missing an African American person and we're missing an Asian person, but I feel like it's a good start. Yeah, I'm trying to think canonically, like what characters uh, were in the New Mutants that could have filled those roles. And I'm not sure if uh, it may have been years down the road that some of those characters, Jubilee, first of all, uh, someone who throw her in, give her a bone. God damn it. Yeah, I know that in the original in the original X-Men canon, the movies, she actually is already introduced. She's just always once again given short shrift and is Mm. never able given her time to shine. So technically, she supposedly already exists in this movie's continuity. Uh, So she couldn't have been introduced as a new mutant, but whatever. Uh, Let's move on to the bad. Generally speaking, what didn't work for you, Shanna, about this film? Oh, let's see... I guess the only thing I had a problem that are nitpicky. Okay. The nitpicky. Not the nitpicky. Okay. It's not necessarily like, oh, I can't believe that we had to deal with this. Because this could be introducing new people to the mutants, uh-huh. you know? So, I'm like, no. You're in a hospital that looks like an insane asylum. Mm-hmm. You guys are mutants. Yeah. You're not supposed to be there. What you think that this is just your healing place it's not a healing place Mm. even the meditation's fucked up you know that the doctor leads them through i guess from a viewer point i'm like no get out get out figure out how to get out Mm -hmm. hack the system i don't know Mm. that's my only frustration okay so you you're frustrated with the concept of the story in general um like i know they had to keep them in a space okay like i get it yeah but at the same time, like they didn't really talk about being trapped. They didn't really verbalize it as soon as I would have liked, I guess. Okay, because I was going to say, yeah, they talked a lot, a lot about it. But all right. For me, there was it was more like an issue of occasionally there's lines of dialogue that weren't great. It wasn't riddled with this issue. But it was more like there were maybe two to four different occasions where it's like, oh, I don't know if it's a matter of the delivery or the writing, but that didn't quite work. This movie is tied to X-Men Apocalypse and Logan in ways I won't go into here, but it's tied into those two movies somewhat loosely, but in ways that make it clear there was a story thread that those kind of planned here Mm. that we will probably not see come to fruition. Yeah. And it would have been great to see it. It it would have been interesting to see what direction they end up going with it, what the roadmap was with this. 
And I, if and I would be very interested in, in reading an interview by whoever the architect was of that roadmap. To you know, sometimes you hear uh, screenwriters explain, "Oh yeah, this was actually our original idea for X Men Three versus what it became, or whatever it yeah. is." And it makes for fascinating reading and also depressing reading because you're like. <laughs> Damn, that would have been good. You have to you know? kind of take a minute to mourn. Yeah, I would I would be interested in that version of whoever was the architect of this particular plot thread that I could talk about in spoilers. I don't think it necessarily works or is, is, is all that satisfying in this film. There's certain aspects where I think like, okay, yeah, I see what they're going for and it could have been just a little bit stronger and also the fact that they're trapped and there is literally a character who can in some ways disappear in one space and reappear in another like it makes mm. it makes me wonder like okay what is preventing that person from getting outside the barriers that are restricting them and that's not something that the movie satisfies or speaks to in any way there's just a lot of little things that kind of like prevent the movie from being great or one of the best of the franchise the whole like there's a native american proverb thing i was like that doesn't sound like a proverb that sounds like a goddamn story the way you're telling it <laughs> well isn't it usually these stories native american teachings are stories not necessarily proverbs yeah i well, know nothing if that I don't think you're far off, but like then the word proverb shouldn't be used because I think like the textbook definition of what a proverb is is not what is the first lines of of the movie. Yeah. It would so, have been better like, if she said something like, my father would tell me the story. Right, which is actually which is very easy. Yeah, and that's actually what they did the rest of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and it, it works and it's fine, right? You know, because that could even be not necessarily tied to a particular race or nation uh, Indian uh, tribal nation it can be tied to well this is something a father was instilling in their daughter his daughter to help his daughter you know with xyz you know yeah you're Um, right so i think that's the only like misstep it really made in terms of that character i think everything else just needs a spoiler discussion but I did want to say that Ileana Rasputin is awesome in this oh movie. Oh my god, give her a movie. And <laughs> yeah. uh, so is Rain Seclair by, yes. by Maisie Williams. Awesome. And there's a couple other characters that I would like to see fulfill the potential in another uh, film. Look, I know? like that the women were the ones that shone here because often heroines are not given that opportunity and mm. the men, the heroes, were yeah. supportive mm. and kind and neutral beings, you know. Yeah, and just a couple uh, conceptual what's the, stumbles, I guess, particularly with one character, as I said, a conceptual stumble there that doesn't quite make sense. Another thing that, about that character that's really awesome, we can talk about in spoilers, that it's more like, wow, that's really cool. But how exactly does that make sense? I'm not sure exactly how that works. So I, I give the, I think the, the good does outweigh the bad in this movie, but I give it a six out of 10. How about you, Shanna? Um, I think I'm more of a seven out of 10 upon my first viewing yeah so definitely the good always the bad for you yeah it's a great teen movie 
So let's get into spoilers for the new mutants. If you haven't seen the new mutants yet, understandable, do skip ahead in the timestamp to the film faves segment where we count down our favorite teen movies. Otherwise, if you have seen the film, join us for our spoiler discussion and uh, final thoughts of the new mutants. Okay, Shanna, what do you want to dive into here about this uh, movie that we weren't able to touch on before? So I, I agree with you. I love that there's a lesbian relationship. It's beautiful. It's sweet. It's kind. Rain is like, like she's an old soul or something because she, I, I don't know how old she's supposed to be in this, but she's very wise and very caring and good with boundaries like she's a really great role model who she is Uh is really beautiful yeah and then you have danny and then the two of them are together and uh danielle moonstar the main character yeah well they were calling her danny is it okay if i call her danny yeah i just want to clarify for the listener so there's this line that danny says you're so nice i think i made you up And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Mm. You know, we all experience that eventually. And when we do meet someone who's really nice, it's it's so shocking to our system. Mm. And mutants are known for being traumatized in various ways. And we don't know enough about Danny, but we know that she was at least bullied for being a Native American in school. So we know that she hasn't been treated very nicely, but we don't know anything more than that. Right. Right. We're not given anything in the beginning of the movie. We're dropped into a, uh, what, what do you call it, a disaster, so to speak. Yeah. I like that Ileana was a racist bitch. Really? It makes sense, uh. you know, that she's lashing out, but she doesn't lash out at the boys, and she doesn't lash out at Rain. She's only lashing out at the new girl, and it just so happens that the new girl is a Native American. I really like that... <sighs> Even a future sort of X-Men character is dealing with her nonsense in teenagehood. I don't know where her racism would come from if it's just a lash out of being hurt by anyone and everyone or if it's something specific. But I like that they made her that way because it gave Danny an opportunity to call her out on her racist bullshit. I find in reflection that a little more problematic because... There's no context there. I think it felt a little bit like, oh, well, we need someone in the group to be a bit of the antagonist to the newcomer. And so it felt a little a bit of a uh, contrived trope uh, than anything. And there was literally nothing that gave us any context to where that's coming from and she in general seems antagonist but she's you're you actually bring up a good an interesting point which is she's primarily only antagonizing danny moonstar and in reflection i'm not really sure where that comes from the movie doesn't give that at all Mm -hmm. and so to me that's a little more problematic and on top of it all, as a fan of the comics, that's not at all how the character is. Well, and I and understand so that. I, I'm a little bothered by that, and, and, you know, especially knowing, like, the fate of the character and everything in the comics. It's, you know, the, the character's guess... better than that. And yeah. we don't necessarily, that doesn't, I don't think, ever really get resolved either in the film. 
Well, they both get put in timeout isolation, uh, yeah. which sucks because then I got angry because I was like, oh, good. Danny is standing up for herself, calling Ileana out on her racist bullshit. That's uh-huh. great. Uh-huh. But then they both got put into isolation. Yeah. And that irritated me, but also calls to reference what a lot of teens do go through. They're trying to stand up for themselves and they get punished anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But nothing so, after that ever resolves uh, this issue you're talking about with Ileana. I think because and- it jumps straight to Ileana figuring out what Danny's power is. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's I, their next interaction, right? So that that's a that's a problem for me. Ileana, like when when I think about it more and more, okay, Ileana is both awesome and problematic for me because mm-hmm. yes, she has a, mostly a great third act, right? When you get to see Ileana magic do her thing. When she armors up her arm, mm-hmm. you know, and brings out the soul sword at any part of the movie, it's really cool and really awesome. When you get to see her more or less use her powers of transportation to limbo, it's kind of cool. The whole fact that she has a puppet that, that is a drag that is Lockheed. Yeah. I thought, oh, that's really cool because there's no way in hell they could figure out how to have an alien dragon from another planet in this canon. So this is one way to do that. And I thought that well, was really cool. how they manifested it. Okay. Right? I see what you're saying. And then, which is awesome. And then in the third act, somehow Lockheed actually becomes the Lockheed that we know from the comics is an actual live dragon. But she did. Which on the, well, let me finish. Oh, which on the one hand is awesome and totally thrilling and very cool to see but on the other hand conceptually like wait how exactly does that work it's it's like i'm I'm not sure they made sense out of how this puppet actually comes into being um as an actual dragon and then is back into being a puppet and then on top of it all the racism that you're talking about her antagonism that's so so not like the character in the comics as i understand it all of that gives me mixed feelings of, yay, awesome, ah, what? <laughs> We've always liked her in the comics and yeah. in our games that we have her in. Sure. And maybe it's good that they've done that because maybe they knew, okay, everyone's going to love magic because she's magic. Okay. And let's throw in something that's a little current, like, hey, are you still going to like her if she's a racist bitch? But it's also like she's there for Danny when it counts. When the script requires it. Well, yeah, and I don't know. But the fact that she's getting called out makes me happy. So. What were you going to say about Lockheed? I also wanted to know more about Lockheed, you know. But then as you're saying what you're saying about Lockheed, I realized she says Lockheed and I would go to this place. It was our place, our safe place. And maybe because she is magic, she's able to make Lockheed come alive. So, yes, Lockheed isn't the alien version he's supposed to be, Mm -hmm. but he's manifested within her mind. And so that's why you see it when she's in her realm. But she wasn't in her realm when they were fighting the demon. Well, she would do these things where she would open up her realm and then Lockheed would be in her realm with her if she stepped into it. There's that one moment where she takes Danny and shoves Danny in her yeah. realm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was the same thing happening with the bear. 
Yeah, I don't. I'd have to rewatch it again, but I don't think that tracks. I just, yeah, it just um, think that that was a flaw in, in the writing and doesn't quite work. Cecilia Reyes was interesting too because she's actually a, not a villain in the comics, but her powers are accurate in oh, okay. the uh, from yeah. the comics. Her ability to project force fields mm-hmm. and her ability, like as a combat character, to create these force fields that she can shrink over and incapacitate any any person. I thought that she was taking cool. away the oxygen. No, what she was doing was she was shrinking them. Essentially, it would, it would crush them. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's comics accurate, and that was kind of cool. But it was interesting that they turned her into a villain and had her work for... Nathaniel Essex and the Essex Corps. No. So she was wearing a pin yeah. that is his diamond on his head. In the comics, yes. Yeah, and I was trying to see it clearly, but during the beginning, like before they reveal, they haven't lit it properly, so I can't mm. see it properly. And then once they've revealed it, it's like lit sharp. Gotcha. You know? So that's another thing the movie tries to do is kind of this ambiguous... What is the purpose? It's an ambiguous purpose to what's going on. And at one point, the students themselves actually speak to this idea of, oh, you know, we're being kept here for our own good to figure out what our mutant powers are, and then we'll be recruited into the X-Men. And that's essentially yeah. what the concept of New Mutants were, right? They, they're teenagers. They're the next generation. They're at the school to learn and be it either Magneto or Professor X as the headmaster, whatever it is. They're to gain control of their power so that way they can join the X-Men eventually. And they do. They join actually X-Force, which is another team of the X-Men in the comics, a much more militant team, but still... And, but the the movie tries to play this ambiguous nature of is, is Dr. Reyes superior Xavier or is her superior someone else? And I'm not sure that the script or the direction really played that tension as effectively oh. as they were going for uh, to really make that fully satisfying when it was revealed as oh you know kind of a thing did that was that completely satisfying did that tension really work for you that much i i thought it worked i thought it was good because it kind of showed it showed this uh, naivete that we can have as young kids mm. because rain definitely believed that she was going to go to charles xavier after this or at right. least the next step towards him and that she that that's something that she would want but I knew that it wasn't a Charles Xavier thing. Yes. Because you, you wouldn't, he wouldn't need to monitor them with video cameras. He could just like log into their mind, you know? Or Cerebro. Um, well, yeah. it, it seemed like they were going, they were attempting to reference Cerebro when like the whole setup was explained by Reyes. So I guess the fact that you were able to guess correctly, does that make the movie predictable and thus fail in that attempt? No. Look, I knew this was sinister. All the color palette and all that jazz tells me it's sinister. Really? (laughs) It tells me. Not the actual character, just the feeling that something sinister is happening. I thought you were saying you actually knew it was sinister. No, I realized what I said and I thought it was really funny. It is really Um, funny. So I knew something was wrong. Like green is your warning color, right? Especially green of an insane asylum from, you know, a particular decade. 
So I knew something was wrong. Yeah. You know, you see little reports come by and yeah. before the real report of Danny comes by with what the conclusion needs to be. And You're talking about so, the computer the analysis, screen. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. The digital messages. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that worked for you. It didn't necessarily work uh, for me per se. And I liked when we got to see them fighting the demon bear yeah. and how the transformation became less and less fear. Uh, so it became smaller. What did? The bear. The bear did? the bear is fear, essentially. Okay, sure. But I didn't notice its size shrink in any way. Oh, yeah. It started, like, it's... So what happens is it's the, the body starts disappearing into smoke. Oh, okay. And then the bear's face softens and he looks more like Baloo. <laughs> Baloo. You know? Gotcha, gotcha, so. gotcha. Sunspot really annoyed me uh, in <gasps> the end. I was like, I <laughs> thought he, at one point, I misunderstood what he said. I thought... Um, he was being told to stay with Ileana and and help, and instead he was like being told to carry Danny and hide, uh, help hide her, and then he hides in the pews afterwards. I'm like, dude, you can fucking turn into fire and blast fire at things. You're potentially like one of the most helpful characters in this group get out there and use your powers and even when yeah. he was he ignited himself but he was hitting the bear with a pew instead of shooting <laughs> flame at the bear well, i was like what are you doing <laughs> what are you doing i was so disappointed i was like well it's probably because he's still developing the power right i mean he hasn't practiced a lot with it every time he practices Somebody puts him out. Well, he's know? not practicing in those, ta- in those instances. That's true. That you're That's true. He's trying to he's, not do it he's at all. He's feeling, essentially, and he's yeah. raging and whatever. Yeah, he's afraid of his powers. But yeah. And I, just, I feel like we, we missed a little bit. More of his story needed to be revealed in order for us to empathize more with why he was battling to activate. Yeah, that might be fair. That might be fair. But it was kind of funny how Sam Guthrie was like, Birdo, not up. It was like, yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, it was you great. Know? It was, I was great. I was, I was pretty disappointed by that, especially since I'm like, I've seen you totally like go at it in Days of mm-hmm. Future Past. I've seen you kick ass. Like, what the hell's wrong with you? That was a little frustrating. But um, any last things you want to say about the film? No, I love this film. I love that we got to see Lockheed. I liked him as a puppet. I liked him as an energetic form. I don't really mind how he comes to us. Okay, fair enough. You know, at the end, Danny finishes the story. She's like, who wins? Does does the bear bear out of fear win? Does the bear out of happiness win? Uh And her dad tells her, the one that you feed wins. Uh So if you feed your fear, fear is going to win. If you feed your love, love's going to win. I can't remember what the contrast is. What do you want to say about that? Well, I think it's it's good for our time, right? It's very light. It's very mm. subtle. Only if you're aware of, you know, how many people are afraid of what's happening politically and in the world in general, especially the U.S., then you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that that is a message that transcends any particular moment in history. Yeah. You know, it's true for yourself and how you live your life no matter what. Uh, so it's uh, a nice uh, little cap to the, the film there. Have you seen The New Mutants? Let us know what you think at the Gibson Review at gmail.com. 
Now it's time for Film Faves, where we count down our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. Lately, we have been doing aftershocks of our March Backwards Through Time with lists such as our favorite actors and actresses and and favorite discoveries. We're going to pause that for a little while. In this episode, we're going to focus on teen movies since this film that we just reviewed focuses so much on this coming of age, this period where you start to manifest certain feelings and what have you. That's sort of some aspects and some themes that definitely manifest in the teen movie genre uh, quite often. So uh, this is a perfect opportunity for us to look at this genre and count down what our favorites are and what we love about it. Now, when we count down our favorite movies, Part of the idea is to give you a sense of what our, our tastes are in film. But also, hopefully, we want to expose you to some titles that maybe you've never seen or heard of before. So to do that, we also try to bring to attention when certain movies are available on subscription services. We focus on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Disney+, and HBO Now. A lot of the times these movies might be available to rent on Amazon or they're available on HBO Max or they're available on Criterion. And if it's not available on the subscription services we mentioned, maybe it's available on those things. But those are the services we focus on currently. And we'll let you know if a movie is available on those. So, uh, Shanna, the teen movie genre. I'm sure this was something that, you know, like me, you grew up watching. It was definitely something that was repopularized in the 90s when I was a teen and uh, has been since repopularized in the 2010s. Yeah, more recently, yeah. A lot more thoughtful and, and a lot more, I don't know, uh, substantive, I would say, in the 2010s than maybe in the 90s. And even in the 80s, too, with the John Hughes movies. I feel like the John Hughes movies are probably closer in alignment to what you got in the 2010s than maybe in the 90s. Oh, I don't agree with you, but okay. Oh, that's very interesting. <laughs> well, I will. it'll be up to me to prove you wrong, I suppose. Uh, what was the, your experience like making this list? Was it a challenge, or did you just have an abundance to choose from? No, it was really easy, and there was a decent amount of films to choose from, and it was very either yes i love it or no i hate it Mm -hmm. or oh darn there isn't room on the list you know so there might be some movies that i like Mm -hmm. that didn't quite make the list and uh, i prefer the more dense teenage films like i said earlier like if you're gonna make a teenage film help me help me you know have some messages or have some, some messages struggles. have things i can relate to mm-hmm. speak to my teenage experience which i feel like it can be easy to do mm. if like something like the new mutants you're covering a lot of ground yeah you know like there's going to be something in there a person can relate to mm. did you have a lot of blind spots you found that you you know just felt like oh you know i really wish i'd seen these or did you have actually a pretty healthy selection of what you had seen i knew what my top six were going to be okay instantly yeah because they're more recent or they came out when i was a teen and Uh that's that and and then the others i was surprised that they got to be on the list i was like oh yeah that's good and oh yeah that's amazing not so much anything that you're like uh i should have made time to watch that 
really. I didn't have that this time. And maybe yeah. there is something that I should watch that I haven't watched. I'm sure there is. There's definitely not a lot on my end. I've seen over 100 teen movies. Now, oh, one thing that's very important we should bring up is we are excluding from this list horror franchises and superhero franchises, right? Because <laughs> that opens the door to whole other directions. Like if you're going to count all the X-Men movies, <laughs> right? Like, right. You can, if you're going to count Nightmare on Elm Street or Halloween, well, how come not Halloween three or whatever it is, right? It's like Geek Out. You can't, you can't name sequels. Yeah. Or like Scream <laughs> is a really great example, but suppose, you know, yeah. um, and I guess in that franchise, that's actually technically the only teen movie because there's an actual age progression in that. But I didn't really think of that one taking this into consideration. So we pretty much excluded horror franchises and superhero franchises for this list. It's the traditional teen comedy or dramedy or drama or whatever it is along those lines that we're focusing on. So with that understanding, Shanna, do you want to start us off with your 12th favorite teen film? So speaking of real experiences, <laughs> a little amplified here in this medium. This is a horror and it's called It Follows from 2014. It is absolutely terrifying because... It takes the concept of a real legitimate fear, STDs, mm -hmm. and turns it into a supernatural force. Mm -hmm. And the visuals are very tricky, very terrifying. Yes. And it's it like I'm thinking about it right now and I'm like, I don't want to talk about it because it's it's so effective and amazing. That is an awesome, amazing pick. I didn't even think of that. I was trying so hard to stay away from horror franchises. I didn't even think of any individual horror films. And that's probably one of the best examples that you could have come up with. So kudos to you on that one. So my 12th favorite teen movie is from the year 2001. It is Ghost World. Starring Scarlett Johansson and Thora Birch. Uh, Thora Birch is kind of the lead. It also stars Steve Buscemi. This is based on an actual graphic novel, a self-contained story by Daniel Close. You know, with some changes. It's, it's more or less an interesting story about what happens after high school with two best friends. Uh. Uh, and what happens when one wants to retain how things are. And the other wants to move on with life and kind of you have this tension between the two where none of them are coming along with the other mm -hmm. necessarily. And it's, it has a very indie vibe to it. And I really enjoy it. I think the characters are really interesting. It's also often very funny. Uh, it's a it's a really great film, uh, and you can find it on Amazon Prime if you have not seen it. That is Ghost World from 2001. My number 11 is from 1989, Heathers. This is available on Hulu or Prime. Yay. In order to get out of a snobby clique that is destroying her good girl reputation, which is lovely to have, by the way. An intelligent teen teams up with a dark sociopath in a plot to kill the cool kids. It stars Winona Ryder and Christian Slater. 
it's really darkly comedic. I love it. I can't relate to killing people, but <laughs> I think it's a fun little play with how high school can feel. Like, oh my God, I wish that click would go away, you know? Mm-hmm. So very interesting. Shannon Doherty also starred in that, who would go on to, of course, be in Beverly Hills 90210, a big star in the 90s. Oh, yeah. that's her. Okay, yep. I just looked at her face. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, my number 11 favorite teen movie is from 2007. It is Super Bad. Starring Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill, as well as Christopher Mintz Platts. And Emma Stone has a supporting role in this. Essentially, two guys are trying to make it to a party. They supposedly are going to be able to bring alcohol to this party. And they essentially want to impress a couple girls so that way they can get laid. On the surface, that's what the movie is about. But like Ghost World, in a way, this movie is really about two best friends and what happens when they graduate and move on with life. What happens to their friendship and this fear of them like growing apart or moving on? You know, it's it's one of the best Judd Apatow produced films. It's still really funny today because Jonah Hill in particular (laughs) is so damn vulgar. It's like it's almost Peter Capaldi in the loop level of vulgar. He is so funny. He gets so exasperated. It's it's hilarious. And and Michael Sarah serves as a really great foil for for him as well. Uh, but yeah, who are who are the cops in that one? Oh, that's a good question. I can't remember one of them off the top of my head, but Seth Rogen, who co-wrote the script, so Seth Rogen, and then um, the guy from SNL with the dark hair. God, which one? Uh, it's dark hair from SNL. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, Super Bad is my eleventh favorite movie. Bill Hader, honey. Oh, okay. It says right there. I can't find him. <laughs> What is your 10th favorite teen movie? My number 10 was available to stream basically on every platform for the longest time, and now it's nowhere. Oh. 13 going on 30 from 2004. It would have been so cool if it was 2003. All the threes. Whatever. (laughs) A girl makes a wish on her 13th birthday and wakes up the next day as a 30-year-old woman. It's starring Jennifer Garner. I think it's my favorite Jennifer Garner film. It also has Mark Ruffalo. And then oh, Andy Circus is in it. Yep. As Andy, so, uh, as a as a person, not a, a CG. Right. Right. Awesome yeah. performance. So I I love this film because you know, like you said, with super bad, like on the surface, that's what it is. But more deeply, it's about loving and caring for those who are actually there for you and not trying to get in with the superficial click crap. Uh-huh. And that's the lesson she learns with this. And it's it's really, it's a beautiful story. And there's this element of time manipulation, which I love. Right. Fun movie, for sure. I was pleasantly surprised by it. And not a lot to draw from, from the Jennifer Gardner oeuvre, but that was definitely one of the most enjoyable. What the fuck is an oeuvre? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Say Anything is my 10th favorite teen movie from 1989. It is Cameron Crowe's first film he directed. 
This one stars John Cusack as a guy who is hopelessly in love with Iona Skye's character, who's kind of like a valedictorian. They both just graduated high school. John Mahoney, the uh, unfortunately departed John Mahoney, plays her dad. He's very protective of her. He has his own subplot going on. But uh, it's really about this just absolute devotion that John Cusack's Lou Dobler has for Iona Skye's character. Career ambition be damned, you know. He wants to do what he wants to do and what he loves to do. He doesn't want to get stuck in any particular thing. And at the time, that probably felt dubious. But now it's like, yeah, man, that's how you should. That's how you should be. Like, figure out what you love, do what you love. Um, and if part of that is being with this particular person, awesome. That's fantastic. Also has a very graduate-like final shot, which is very cool. So I love <laughs> "Say Anything" by Cameron Crowe from 1989. Lovely. Uh, number nine. Nine is <laughs> from 1955. It is Rebel Without a Cause. It's not available to stream anywhere. Really? Um, like, like for what we watch, it's on TCM Classics, of course. But oh, wow. Okay. You know, this is a great movie. It's totally worth renting. This stars James Dean and Natalie Wood. And I never understood why people were so upset about James Dean passing away so young. Mm. Uh, I had watched, I want to say Ben-Hur, but it's actually Giant. Giant. Yes. Mm-hmm. I had watched Giant and I was like, oh, you know, it's it fine. It was good. It's great. <laughs> but then I watched Rebel Without a Cause and I was like, this guy's amazing. Mm. Amazing. Beautiful delivery, performance, everything. James Dean is a character that comes to a new town. So you've got that whole new kid in mm-hmm. the town trying to find where can he fit in with the cliques within the high school. And it doesn't go well for him. Uh, Instantly, there's trouble. And we see him battling with expectations and not being able to get proper answers from his parentals for questions he has that are beautifully articulated. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you just see that frustration happening with him. You know, where we've got three characters. I think the other character is played by Salma Nier. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, sorry, yes, yeah, Salma Nier. And Natalie Wood's character is is someone every girl can relate to. That at some point, you know, your dad sees you differently because you become a woman. And, oh, mm-hmm. okay, kissing your brother on the forehead or giving you a kiss goodnight isn't appropriate anymore. And it's like, well... Actually, it is. Like, I'm still your daughter. Mm. I'm always going to be your daughter. Um, and then Salmanio, his character is dealing with the lack of a father figure, the lack of parentals, even though he's provided for. You need your parents. So yeah. it's just a really, really great teen movie. Yes, absolutely. And a very young Dennis Hopper can be seen in that film, too. My next favorite teen film, my ninth favorite, is from 2010. It is Easy A, starring Emma Stone, principally. Uh, Also starring Stanley Tucci, and who's the mom in the movie? Oh, she's awesome. She's from... Patricia Clarkson, right? There we go. She's from Little Pieces. Yeah, Pieces of April, yes. That too, but I was thinking of something else from HBO. Oh, 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 okay, okay. 
we've talked a lot about this movie off and on over the past two, three years. It probably is not a surprise to see it on my list. This is the movie that proved that, yes, Emma Stone is a star. Yes, she can carry a film. Yes, she is actually hilarious in case Superbad and Zombieland did not prove that to you. So basically, this movie is about a girl who has this rep, who's given this reputation of being a bit of a slut. And so she owns that reputation and flaunts it in in her school. It's loosely based on Scarlet Letter, which is a book that she's actually reading in school. Uh, she basically takes ownership of that and kind of plays with the idea of slut shaming, the idea of consent. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and basically sexual empowerment as a teen. Uh, in, in very fun and hilarious ways. So I really enjoy EZA. It's a hard movie not to enjoy. And it is my ninth favorite teen movie. And then just to clarify with Patricia Clarkson, what I actually meant to say was sharp objects. Oh. Uh, not little pieces. <laughs> That's something else. Very different. Yeah. So my number eight is Footloose from 1984, and it is available on Prime or Hulu, mm-hmm. your pick. And, uh, you know, if you don't know what this movie is, I'm very sad for you. Or you if you've only it. seen the 2011 remake, I'm very sad Please, for you. I'm, very, I'm even more upset. <laughs> I'm very mad now. So this is about, again, it kind of like comes from Rebel Without a Cause. It's a city teenager. He moves to a small town where rock music and dancing are banned, straight up banned. There's no school dances, and then there's no dancing happening anyway. Right. uh, Or music. Right. And his rebellious spirit, you know, and his education and (laughs) non-ignorance, you know, it shakes up everybody. And uh, who is our main guy? Our main guy is Kevin Bacon. Our main girl is Laurie Singer, and her parents are played by John Lithgow and Diane Wiest. Uh, You've also got Sarah Jessica Parker in here. That's one of my favorites, and I think that's about it from what I love. Chris Penn, who would later star in Reservoir Dogs and is Sean Penn's brother. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. Um, I love this film. I love the soundtrack. I, I love the performances. It has a very special place in my heart. Very cool. My eighth favorite teen movie is available on Hulu. It came out last year. I feel like it's one of last year's most overlooked movies. Oh, can but I guess it? Go right ahead. Is it Booksmart? It is Booksmart. Woo! Yes, of course. A movie that we have probably talked to death a lot on this podcast has shown up on uh, several lists between the two of us. Directed by Olivia Wilde. It is about two basically Booksmart teenagers who are bffs they want to set out and prove one in one night that they can have fun just as much as their peers uh, and they are not just a couple of nerds and it is hilarious it is fresh it is so hard to after 50 60 70 years of the teen genre to come up with something that is refreshing and this movie is able to do just that is uh, very much something that modernizes the teen genre, kind of addresses the current millennials and their uh, culture and what life is like for them as a teenager, but it also features a great pair of friends played by Caitlin Dever and Beanie 
Feldstein. Both very brilliant. Jenna, what is your seventh favorite teen movie rounding out the bottom half of your list? My number seven is from this year. It is Never Rarity, Sometimes Always. It's not available to stream, but it is available to rent everywhere. Mm. A pair of teenage girls in rural Pennsylvania travel to the New York City, to the New York City, uh, to seek out medical help after an unintended pregnancy. This is a triple F rated film. It's directed and written by Eliza Hitman. There are so many things happening in this film. It's not just about a teenage pregnancy. We've gone into great lengths talking about this film, but it touches on everything, you know, that a, a young teenage girl would go through and what woman will go through up until they die harassment unintended attention either way that's the same thing what i just said but there's there's a lot happening here and the best part of it is female friendship how they're there for each other yeah for more on that film definitely check out our review on episode 84 that's a great pick My next favorite, my seventh favorite, is available on Netflix. It is from 2018. It is Lady Bird, starring Saoirse Ronan and, oh shoot, what's her name? Well, uh, B.D. Felstein is in it again. Okay, that's not what I'm thinking of. Who plays the mom? And Tracy Letts plays the, the father. And, and who's the guy? Timothy Timothy Chalamet is in it too. He's kind of a douche in that movie. But you know, Laurie Metcalf is yeah, who of you're course, Laurie Metcalf. I just blanked on her last name. So Lady Bird, one of the most nuanced and interesting teen movies I have ever seen. One of the most fascinating mother-daughter dynamics that I've ever seen on screen. One of the best female characters in a teen movie I have ever seen. Uh, Directed and written by Greta Gerwig, one of the best directors to come out of the last decade. I'm really looking forward to seeing more from her. If you haven't seen Lady Bird yet, I don't know what you're doing. Do jump on Netflix right now and check it out. It is arguably the best movie of 2018. My number six is one of those extreme ones this is 13 oh, from 2003 you hate this film I, I think this film scares you i think that the depiction of female teenagehood in this scares you and rightly so a 13 year old girl's relationship with her mother is put to the test as she discovers drugs sex petty crime all in the company of a cool but troubled best friend. Mm. This stars Nikki Reed, Evan Rachel Wood. Evan Rachel Wood, yes. Vanessa Hudgens, and Holly Hunter is the mom. Mm-hmm. The reason I picked this one is because a lot happens in this film. Anything and everything a teenage girl could possibly do or experiment with somewhat is in this film. Because mm-hmm. it's honest and it's like ripping a band-aid. I would show this to my 13-year-old. I'd show it to my 12-year-old. He has the shit we have to deal with within ourselves. Very cool. My sixth favorite 
teen movie is The Karate Kid from 1984. Available on Netflix. This is an iconic movie. This is a lot like your movies on your list. It deals with a kid who moved into a new town and is struggling to fit in. Gets bullied a lot. Joins a... Well, not joins. Learns, ends up learning and befriending from his apartment unit's maintenance guy, essentially. Played by Pat Morita. Mr. Miyagi. He voluntarily helps this kid, this teenager, learn karate to defend himself against his bullies. It's basically a story of self-confidence, of self-empowerment, learning how to healthily get your frustrations out and, and be able to stand up for yourself and love yourself so that way you can have also a healthy relationship with someone too, which mm-hmm. there is a, a romantic interest played by Elizabeth Shue. Great film, still great film today. I highly recommend it. That's The Karate Kid from 1984 on Netflix. That's definitely a theme that's in a lot of teenage movies, the romantic interest. And I think that... yes. You know, looking back, I know I'm going backwards here, but I think that's why I like 13. There isn't a specific love interest. It's just about the issues, the shit show that you're going to deal with without anything. Yeah, that is true. So my number five is Easy A. You've talked about that already. Mm -hmm. I love this film. I watch it every birthday. A friend is pressuring uh, Emma Stone to spill the beans about something and nothing has happened anywhere at any time. And eventually she gets sick of this friend and she gives in and she's like, I'm going to give you what you want. And then it gets wildly out of control. Right. I only watched this in my 20s, but I love it. I wish I'd seen it sooner. Uh, It deals with a lot of weird dynamics with girlfriends, you know. Well, you were 23 when it came out. Oh, I was? More or less. Oh, well, then I only watched it when I was with you when i met you oh okay a couple years later um but i love it because the parents are my favorite parents ever Mm. i want us to be those parents i want us to be that chill you know yeah Um, yeah i like that amanda Bynes is in it i miss her because she was in a lot of teenage stuff Mm. Mm. very cool so my fifth favorite teen movie is from 1995 it is clueless Starring Alicia Silverstone, Paul Rudd, Dan Hedaya, and a slew of other people. I think Wallace Shawn is even in that film. It's currently experiencing its 25th anniversary, and I still remember seeing it at the drive-in with my parents and laughing my ass off at it, and my parents not really feeling it (laughs) so much. But I was able to see that there is something brilliant about this movie. For those who aren't familiar, it's loosely based on the Jane Austen novel Emma, where a girl of certain privilege is playing kind of matchmaker amongst her friends. Mm -hmm. And part of that involves also a Pygmalion sort of transformation of one of her friends, too. Uh, and yet she's never in a relationship herself, mm. you know? It's like giving advice yet not having the experience yourself and not necessarily having the maturity yourself as well. 
And she definitely ends up coming face to face with that eventually. It's a brilliant film. It's brilliant of Amy Heckerling to have set this in high school uh, in, in quote unquote modern times. And everything about this movie is hilarious and iconic. The fashion is very much of the 90s, though, even the, the quote-unquote high fashion. So it's yeah, whatever. It's okay. very interesting. 90s when, fashion was just shit in general. Okay. It's very interesting, <laughs> though, when you get to a certain age you, and you notice, oh, oh, that that fashion of when I was a teenager is dated now. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's an interesting realization. <laughs> oh, man. I think it's cool if you were a teen in the 90s. I think it was very, it had a very specific flavor. So that is Clueless on Netflix. My number four is Eighth Grade from 2018. It's available on Prime. Very cool. Which is very exciting. It's totally worth watching. This is a nice slow teenage film. It's very quiet. Mm. It's there's a lot of hilarity for parents in it because she it's just her and her father. It's Elsie Fisher and her father is is it Josh Hamilton? Yes. Ah, uh, okay. What a sweet guy to be a dad for a teenage girl by himself. Oh man. She's an introverted teenage girl. She tries to survive the last week of like a, anything that can go wrong goes wrong of eighth grade year before leaving to start high school. And I guess she's trying to figure out like this is a girl that's trying. Yes. Very, very introvertedly trying to get herself out there really hard. Capital and, trying. Yeah. And she's trying to figure shit out. Mm-hmm. And we really focused on her. There isn't like a lot of interaction really. It's really about about her but it also looks at like what teens are dealing with now like she's on instagram a lot like um share from clueless giving advice and having no experience herself yes and so you know she has her own her own youtube channel Mm -hmm. and it's so great that again she's putting herself out there in all these online ways and a little bit in person but it's not quite working for her right that's her arc Uh, yeah and it's, I love her arc. I mm-hmm. think it's great. I love it. I can totally relate to it. So that is starring Elsie Fisher, 8th grade. You can go watch it on Prime right now. Awesome. My fourth favorite teen movie is from 2004. Also, like a couple of your movies, used to be available to stream everywhere and is not now. It is Mean Girls. That's my number three. Oh, wow. I love that film so much. (laughs) Uh, This movie was actually in my top three until I remembered another older film. And then it got bumped down. This is Lindsay Lohan's height. This is her peak. This is her everything. This is where you see the greatness that could have been Lindsay Lohan. This is also one of the main introductions of Rachel McAdams, who we talked about in the previous episode when we talked about our favorite actors and actresses. This was my first exposure to Tina Fey. Oh, whoa. Okay. So Tina Fey from SNL has definitely taken a step out into film here, writing co-starring in this film basically about a uh, teenager who had been homeschooled in africa uh, i think kenya but i'm not positive it's kenya she, she gets get specific with the country and she joins a high an american high school and definitely has some culture shock trying to fit in there this is a continuing theme a lot in our movies of outsiders trying to fit in 
and it's hilarious. It's very smart. It's very interesting. And it's a, it's at this point, it is of the pantheon of teen films. I kind of figured it would be even at that time. It was sort of the creme de la creme of teen films, even in 2004. And, and uh, if you haven't seen it, you need to hunt it down. That is Mean Girls from 2004. Shanna, what do you love about it? Oh, my gosh. I love the height of bitchiness. You know, after I watched this with a couple of friends, we went very nice to three other girls or two other girls. And we ran into them after we watched this film. And then I think I was mean. And then a friend said, oh, remember, we just watched that film. And I was like, oh, you're right. And then I kind of cut that out to some extent. You know, Mm. we're all guilty of being a mean girl. Everybody is. I just I love the arc that her character takes and kind of all the characters, really. I love the characters, even though they're some of them are bitches and some of them are just plain stupid. Mm. Like, I think it's it's a fun look at teenagehood, but it's also kind of funny to see Tina Fey as a teacher. I I would love her as my teacher. Hell yeah. And then Amy Poehler as the mom is oh. hilarious. Mm-hmm. Everybody that I know, like, has a someone's friend is that mom i had someone like that and i was like what is going on here you know parents are trying to figure it out too it would be nice to see a a teenage movie from the parents perspective like a bunch of parents trying to figure it out yeah i know we kind of get that with some movies but that would be pretty fun to look at you remind me this is also my exposure to lizzie kaplan who is awesome in it and oh, also, it's Janice Ian. Yes, and Daniel <laughs> Franzis, oh, who yeah. I don't know what he's doing today, but he is hilarious what in is Mean Girls. What is she up to? She is in Castle Rock, truth be told. She's been in a bunch of things, love. Uh, she's been in uh, Masters of Sex, a series we still haven't oh, caught yeah. up with. Yeah, now so. you see me too. Yeah, she's great. And she was in Freaks and Geeks as well. Um, I also love the parents in, in Mean Girls. Her parents are kind of absolutely bewildered. Mm-hmm. They're very logical people. Mm-hmm. And they're absolutely bewildered at how she's changing. And I just think it's really funny that they say something like, well, maybe we started sending you to school too early. <laughs> it's like, maybe we, we should have kept you at home. It was kind of funny. Awesome. My third favorite teen movie of all time is from 1985. It is John Hughes' The Breakfast Club. Now, Shanna, I earlier made the (laughs) assertion that movies, teen movies from the 2010s, took a page from the John Hughes book and became and were much more substantive than the teen movies of the 90s. Breakfast Club is Exhibit A. Oh, B, C, D, E, F, G. Because um, (laughs) it really is, of all of John Hughes' films, it's the teen film that really looks at these quote-unquote types as people with issues, people with problems. You know, they get bullied or they bully to the point of a terrible harm, be it physical or emotional harm. And that results in 
bad things that get them in trouble and stuff and and or things from their home life results in them acting out you know and and so many different pressure social pressures from the home or in school you know create these issues with its teens and everything's not okay the kids are not necessarily all right yeah and the breakfast club was one of the uh, you know you had you had rebel without a cause and then you had Breakfast Club, I think, that really oh, kind of demonstrated okay. this, you gotcha. know? And I think there's, there's probably another one that came out in the 2010s, too. But I think there's a movie like this that comes out once every 20 to 30 years mm. that really kind of demonstrates that, first of all, some things are universal and, and, and just every generation goes through. But it's really great to see how rich and, and, and in, in a... Um, figurative sense not a financial sense of these these characters can be and the breakfast club is is it so it's my third favorite teen movie my number two is ladybird and you've kind of spoken about this so i'm just going to go into why i love it so much i love it because it speaks specifically about the female teenage experience in a way that's a little denser a little deeper 13 is kind of on the extreme side of the spectrum and then ladybird's kind of in the middle kind of like well it's more nuanced right well yeah it's very subtle and it's relying on a relationship with the mother that goes through a lot of ups and downs in short bursts of time Mm -hmm. you know and how volatile Saoirse Ronan is because she's got all these hormones and she hasn't quite settled down the performances are amazing Greta Gerwig tells stories like nobody's business uh, from such an authentic place from a place that makes you just want to cry just thinking about it Mm. Um, and Saoirse Ronan's performances are just always wonderful but in this particular one really gets into into the love-hate relationship you will have with your mother during teenagehood and by the same token we get to see Laurie Metcalf not be bewildered or not be the cool calm parent like in some of my other favorites you get to see her be hurt you get to see her Mm -hmm. uh, you know really take into account like you are such an ungrateful child and then with the pushback Ladybird gives, it's really interesting mm. and, and really so good. It also makes me think of Woman with Curves, actually, is another Real good, Woman with Curves. Yeah, Real curves. Woman Have Curves is actually a good one. Uh, a nice little double feature with Ladybird. My second favorite teen movie of all time is from 1984. It is the original Footloose available. Oh, that's, your, that's your number two? On Hulu and Prime. Wow. Yes, it is my second favorite because it is the one that I, in, first of all, is one of the ones that I enjoy the most. You know, I, I grew up, grew up with this, right? I remember it, it must have come out on the video market in the late 80s or something. I don't know. Um, because I remember distinctly, it was 1988. I was really looking forward to seeing Who Framed Roger Rabbit. My mom, have, you know, we got videos from the video store often. My mom brought home videos. Uh, She's like, guess what I got from the video the store? Story. And I was like, oh, who is it? Who Framed Roger Rabbit? She's like, no, I got Footloose. And I was like, what is that? That's not what I was hoping for. But over time, I've grown to really love it. Uh, I, I absolutely adore it. First of all, the soundtrack is awesome. One of the best mm. 80s soundtracks 
ever of, of the 80s, I guess. Um, uh, I absolutely love such solid soundtrack. John Lithgow and Diane Weist. These two are the uh, heart of this film. You know, the, yes, this movie is about dance and all that. And, and Kevin Bacon makes a, a great speech at the end of the film to try to really persuade the city council to uh, allow a particular dance. Yeah, because ha- that's how extreme it is. Right? It's amazing. Yes. But John Lithgow and Diane Weist. Uh, John mm-hmm. Lithgow plays supposedly the moral center of this town as the preacher, and Diane Weist is his wife. And they have some of the best scenes that really help mm-hmm. add so much weight to this film and, and really ground it. And I love them so much. They actually, their scenes actually kind of move me to tears sometimes. John Lithgow is just that great in it. And Diane Weist as this tender support, you know, who kind of like sometimes knows that he's not necessarily right. And he needs to be kind of nudged in the in way she does. Like she just has this gentle way about her mm. that is really wonderful. Um, but their, their scenes together are some of my absolute favorites. Oh, I want to watch that now. Yes, I agree. <laughs> so yes, Footloose from 1984 is my second favorite teen movie of all time. My number one, my ultimate favorite uh, right now is Booksmart. Not at all shocked. <laughs> not at all shocked by this. Now, based on the past year and a half, I'm not at all surprised. This is like a phenomenal F, triple F rated film. Yeah. What a great way to change how we see cliques in high school. Mm. Taking it from, oh, God, like, I can't fit into that clique, that clique's shit, that clique's what the fuck's happening there, to everybody's a person, and everybody's trying to make it through this, remember how horrible the hormone changes are, kind of process, Mm -hmm. and it's just... That's an excellent point. Absolutely. I want to throw money at whatever Olivia Wilde wants to make. Yeah. You know, it's directed by Olivia Wilde. The writing credits are Emily Halpern, Sarah Haskins, Susanna Fogel, Katie Silberman. I want to throw money at these people. You know, please make me another thing, you know, that I can enjoy and relate to and have compassion and love for. This is the one film that makes me wish I could do high school again. And... I think you know me well enough. Like whenever nobody wants to do, high nobody wants again. to do that crap. Yeah. Nobody it's wants just to touch you. that. Yeah. And I don't want to even touch teenagehood. Like yeah. our son will come to me and say something like, well, if you could go back in time and be 16 or 17. And as soon as he states the age, I'm like, no, fuck no. I, or he'll say if you're eight and I'm like, no, because that means I have to go through puberty again. Yeah. No, thank yeah. You. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but this film makes me, open to the idea of like interesting okay, I w- I'd, I'd be okay going back and doing things differently because i think i was a little like those girls in book smart i wish i was billy lord yeah. in high school you know like totally free-spirited mm-hmm. and just enjoying moving between the cliques and just enjoying everybody for who they are mm-hmm. i i just i love this film it's my favorite i love the actors i love the talents all around awesome and again, people can find that on Hulu. My favorite teen movie of all time. I, you know, I went through this process of, okay, would I rather watch this movie or this movie? This movie or this movie? This is how I ended up kind of figuring out what my favorite movie is uh, of this genre. And the movie I would most want to watch above all 
more often than not, until I play it too much and then I get sick of it, is Ferris Bueller's Day Off from, I think, 1986, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, another John Hughes comedy. This one starring Matthew Broderick and Jennifer Grey and Jeffrey Jones and, and, and Alan Ruck and a few other people. Mia Sarah. Uh, essentially, it's about this, this righteous dude who everybody loves in high school. And he decides to contrive a way to pretend to be sick and have his one day off of school. Have fun with his friends on this one day, one day off of school. And, uh, you know... He has such the reputation that if anybody hears that he's sick at school, they're like, they, they do some, they, they like the rumors fly that, oh, Ferris is dying. And, you know, they <laughs> launch this campaign to save Ferris. And meanwhile, the principal knows he's up to something because when isn't Ferris up to something? And <laughs> so he's bound and determined to figure, to prove that Ferris isn't actually sick. This is one obsessed principal I'm noticing. Um, <laughs> But no, this got it out for him. This movie's a blast. I mean, it's just absolute hilarity. It has some substantive moments, you know, especially with Alan Ruck's character Cameron dealing with his father issues, Uh, and that's great. That adds another layer to the film, and I love it when films have layers. But mostly, this this film is a feel good, awesome, fun time. And I defy anyone to watch this film and not smile because it's just that that good of a time. So that's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It is my favorite teen movie of all time. And that about does it for us. Uh, What is your favorite teen movie? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com or participate in the Instagram poll. More on that in a second. Shanna... Before we talk about the next episode, which we'll see how that goes, why don't you share with everyone where they can find you online? You can find me on Instagram at Shanna underscore Paxton underscore photography. And And on Flickchart, if you wish, you can do the whole search for me. It's a spellbinding A. There you go. So the main website is thegibsonreview.com. That's where you can find all things Gibson Review, all things movie lovers. Go there. And then also we have social media channels, facebook.com slash thegibsonreview. On Instagram, we're at thegibson99. I do have polls, bracket polls I do on the Instagram stories. You're welcome to participate in. Most recently, we did a poll on what you thought was the most egregious blind spots that we had. From our previous episode where we talked about our, um, or a previous episode where we talked about our blind spots. And you claimed that uh, Warren Beatty's Reds was our most egregious blind spots. I think there was one, oh yeah, Shanna, your, of all your blind spots, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind was your most egregious blind well, I spot. I guess we better get on that. Yeah, and Reds apparently, because you haven't seen Reds either. No. Interestingly enough, they also voted for your favorite actor of all time, and you voted uh, Leonardo DiCaprio as your favorite actor of all time. Right now, we're finishing up a poll for your favorite actress 
of all time. That may be completed by the time this episode hits your ears, uh, but soon we'll be doing your favorite teen movie of all time. So uh, go on to the Gibson 99 on Instagram to keep an eye out for those polls and participate in the fun. I'm also on Flickchart. The Gibson 99 is where you can find me there. Next time on The Movie Lovers, let me take a look. Uh, First, you will get a bonus episode of our review of Tenet. Keep an eye out for that in the next week, I believe. Uh, But the the next proper episode of The Movie Lovers will be our review of Disney's Mulan, which is another movie that we have been looking forward to for quite some time. I think it was on our list of most anticipated movies of 2020. That is uh, going to be on Disney Plus for a premium. Essentially, it's like going to the theaters at home to be able to give Mulan some coin. Uh, We'll talk more about that. We'll talk um, and review Mulan, and we'll also review, not review, we'll count down our favorite Chinese movies as well, since Mulan is a Chinese epic. Uh, Look for that, I think, around the 25th of September, if I'm not mistaken i could be wrong (laughs) uh keep an eye out on the social medias for the update on that um or even the gibson review it will have the correct date to look for that episode in the meantime keep loving the movies this is jeff and shanna saying bye-bye